Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the A10 Talk podcast. I'm Sam Basil, joined tonight by Kaylee Godek, William Bazone, Sean Vitalis. Guys, it's a really interesting, it's been a really interesting week uh, in Atlantic 10 basketball. We are probably about two, three weeks away from the tournament, three, four weeks away from, you know, the selection committee getting ready for the final NCAA tournament bracket. And as of this week, shout out to a friend of A10 Talk, a friend of the pod, GMU Giant Killers, right? People talk about George Mason, you know, they have a history of being Giant Killers. And after their win against 16th ranked Dayton this week, um, I would say that is, you know, holding up to the name of Giant Killer. But for the A10 at large, is there a chance that we could add Auto Bid Killer? to their name sean uh what are your thoughts on this potentially new moniker for the for the george mason patriots i mean i'll tell you what it, it's been a it's been a stinker two weeks for for ud i mean a tough loss against vcu i mean good game um but 47 points like you know that's that's tough no matter who you're playing not gonna win too many games i don't know i saw a tweet that was like you're not going to win any games scoring 47 points. And I was like, the team that won only scored 49. So I don't know where that guy's logic was coming from. Um, random Twitter account. Um, I mean, that one was tough. Great game, though. VCU, definitely, I could see winning the tournament. Um, you know, I was all in on, like, it's Dayton, and then there was a gap, you know, two or three weeks ago. I was firm on that. At this point, I... uh I don't think there's any gap anywhere in, in the A10, um, except for maybe Rhode Island or SLU, you know, way down on the list. Um, but a great game at Duquesne. I was uh, I was at the Duquesne game. That was a home home game. Um, good win, 75-59. Good win against Fordham. Um, and then, yeah, this George Mason game. Just yikes. Uh, I saw a stat that it was their first home game win against a top 25 team ever like ooh, that's a bad tweet to be on the wrong side of i mean it was just tough tough watch uh, flyers i mean up in the first half um let it get away from them in the second we're down by 10 or 11 and made a great run went on a 10 or 11 oh run um and when that happened i i felt good i was like cool we're on this run you know got that taken care of evened it up we might have been even up a, a point or two at one point, um, and I mean, just let it slip away from us. Some some poor free throws, committed twenty nine fouls. I don't know how that's happening. Um, you know, that's almost five guys fouling out um, in a game. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's been tough. Um, I think that part of it, I think, is unrealistic expectations. Uh, both years that I've been at UD, the whole like. 18 to know when conference play crap gets thrown around. And it's like, that's a funny thought, but I mean, nobody's, nobody's doing that in any conference. DePaul might do the reverse. They might go the O and 18 in conference play um, for any, any Chicagoans that unfortunately are DePaul fans. But, but yeah, I mean, I was never in on that 18 to know. I knew that we were going to drop a few, um, but one or two of these losses has, has definitely gotten away from us. And, um, I think it's getting to the point where, you know, we're no longer 
the one seed. Um, you know, uh, the way that it's broken up right now, and even in like a theoretical, like, oh, they're the two seed, but like we know who's number one. Like I, you know, wouldn't even claim that. Um, you know, obviously maybe we'll still be a ranked team, but if I was a, a voter, I don't think that I would put Dayton in that poll. I, I might give them votes. I mean, I think they should be receiving votes still, but uh, I don't know that we're playing like a top 25 team. Uh, and and so that's something that is a bit concerning the closer we get to the A-10 tournament. I mean, honestly, everything you said, Sean, is like 100% I agree with. Um, But also there's been so many close games that Dayton has barely eked out of. Like I do want to mention like – Back at the beginning of conference play, Dayton barely got out of UD Arena alive against UMass. Um, if it wasn't for UMass missing three throws, I don't think UD Arena would have been very happy with UMass, but that's beside the point. Um, Dayton still does have a chance of the one seed. Um, it came out today um, with a probability seeding. Um, Dayton has a about a 25% chance of being the one seed, but... Richmond has the highest chance of being the one seed with 60%. Um, but as low as Dayton can go is probably the sixth seed at worst. And that's like with less than 0%. Um, but this game really last night was a game of runs. I actually got a chance to catch the end of it after doing some media coverage on the women's side. Um, at one point, both teams had an 11-point lead, and they each spent at least 14 minutes with the lead as well. Uh, nine lead changes throughout the game. Um, uh, the score was tied about seven times and then Mason like found themselves down and then just went on the night, a 19 0 run. And that's kind of what shot poor Dayton in the foot. Uh, Dayton responded way at the end, but Dayton really didn't have a chance at that point. And if Dayton had more people in double digit scoring besides around Holmes, I think we could have seen a different game. Holmes carried it with 26 points and well, the Patriots really split scoring. Um, Keyshawn Hall with 17 points, Ronald Polite with uh, 13 points, Amari Kelly with 12 points and Baraka Okoji with 19 points. Really, you can tell split scoring and really diverse scoring. So you really couldn't just target one person last night. And honestly, a two bid league is, it's still possible, but it's like razor, razor thin. Like, everything has to go right for Richmond and Dayton, essentially. Like, Louisville, Chicago could, but I it would be paper, paper thin. Maybe yeah, paper. and, and as, a, as a Rambler fan, I think there, there's still that chance and that, that Dayton loss uh, the other day to Mason changes everything. I think, Sean and KG, you both kind of touched on my points. Um, but I, I remember when, when Joe Lunardi came on one of our, our spaces back in December, I asked him, hey – Straight up, what's it going to take for the Atlantic 10 to be a two-bid league? I believe, if I'm not mistaken, um, he still has them as a two-bid league on his his most recent bracketology. At least that's what I've seen on Twitter. But he said that, you know, teams have got to go, you know, there's got to be one really good team to get the AQ. But another team, if they really want to have that shot, they got to go 16 and two, 15 and three, something like that. So really KG, as you mentioned, the, the, the margin for error is becoming very slim for, for Dayton and for Richmond and, and even Loyola, who I still can't even believe you, you if you told me they were going to be 11 and two, um, when I came on this podcast last time, I think I'd be looking at you like, what the heck, what the heck are you talking about? So, um, definitely very exciting down the stretch here. I think Dayton has definitely struggled a little bit and it will be interesting to see 
uh, how those power rankings uh, shift on Sunday evening and into Monday. Um, but just, just, just really great to watch some competitive basketball being played. No real, real, real title contender now after this Dayton loss. I, I think maybe I think Sean, you're right. Dayton will probably drop out of the top 25 or be really on the edge of it. I would say maybe 23 through 25 is where I could see them at their their highest, but I think they will probably drop out after this week. Um, but yeah, no, just just very exciting basketball being played here over these last two weeks. Um, oh, oh, that will be played rather, but of course it's it's been very exciting uh, regardless of, of what time frame we're looking at. I just want to say this, like the two big, like the whole one big league thing that I actually mentioned today in media availability um, with Frank Martin at UMass, his exact response was, we're too good of a league to be a one-bid league. I'm not going to sit here and say we've got six that should get in. I'm not promoting nonsense. This is a multi-bid league. It's hard, man. It's hard. This conference literally beats itself up at, like from top to bottom every year. And it literally comes down to the final four minutes, I swear, every time. And Frank has even said that several times in pressures with us. Like, he he's been completely honest. So, it honestly, like, this league beats itself up from the top to bottom. And yes, this league should be a multi-bid league, but unfortunately with having had several teams shoot themselves in the foot in conference play, it hasn't helped. I'm not trying to bash Richmond, Dayton, or even VCU or Loyal Chicago, but Loyal Chicago has really somehow managed to say unharmed, but it's mainly been Richmond and Dayton and VCU that have found funky losses to the weirdest teams possible that it like they that shouldn't have been losses honestly yeah great points all around um a couple of things i want to unpack that you guys said first i actually thank you for reminding me of that quote kg because when you sent that today i thought about it a lot um it was a really good quote from coach martin and while i agree with him in a lot of capacities there were one or two things that I just, I really, you know, that kind of got me thinking about what he said. Um, and I feel like it's a situation that the A-10 has found itself in these past two, three years. You know, I think, uh, you know, heading into the 22 tournament, you know, there was some iffiness on whether or not this would be a two-bid league. Obviously, last year, the A-10 was a one-bid league, right? And then this year, still a question mark, you know, as you know, as you could tell by this podcast, we're not feeling great about multiple bits. And what Frank Martin said about this conference being a one that should have multiple bids year after year, I think he's right. There is a lot of talented programs uh, in this league. There's a lot of talented players, a lot of really smart coaches. But at the end of the day, you're not getting bids based off of you know, notoriety in mid, in mid major basketball, right? Um, you're not, you're not getting bids based off of, you know, your results from 2000 to 2025. You're getting your bids based on, you know, November, 2023 to really like maybe early January, 2020, 2024 for this league. Right. And so these schools, these a 10 schools need to get the results to put them in a good position for multiple bids and every non-conference play these past couple of years. I mean, you can point out several results that 
that you say, oh, why is the 8-10-1 bid league? This might be why. You know, not to bash any of these teams, but look, Loyola Chicago is in a great position in the Atlantic 10. Uh, they lost by five points to UIC. They lost by 11 to Tulsa. Uh, you look at UMass, right? They lost by three to Harvard. They lost by 10 at Towson. Now, it stinks that, you know, bringing up losses like this, you know, we're looking at, in, in a lot of ways, we're looking at completely different teams from when they played. But that's not how the selection committee is going to look at something like that, right? So, kind of long story short, while I do think that Frank, Frank Martin's head is in the right place, I feel like it's it's really important to say, like, look, we can't, you can't be at a point where you're thinking, you know, it's not about who deserves it, right? It's about who's who's going to get it and how the committee is going to look at it. And it's it's a tough situation to be in, but I, th- I think that's where the A-10 is right now. Getting back into the Dayton game a little bit, you know, Sean, you, you, you gave a great recap of kind of where Dayton has kind of shown some cracks. Um, I also want to point out that <laughs> I don't want to let it slide that you – uh took a stray shot at DePaul I thought that was just a little little funny sorry DePaul fans but I I feel like you can understand why you're taking strays like that um but this Dayton game obviously as KG mentioned the only double digit scorer for the Flyers was Deron Holmes he had 26 points seven rebounds three assists a pretty solid game um, but when the rest of your roster is not putting up, you know, double figures, it's, it's really tough to stay afloat and it's not like, you know, and while we do, while it's pretty obvious that Deron Holmes is, you know, probably the best player on this team, you know, just from your st- talent standpoint, it's not like, like we're talking about gaps, right? It's not like there's Deron Holmes and everybody else. This is a really strong Dayton team. They have a lot of solid contributors all the way down to the bench. I mean, this is a really strong team. What about Mason's limiting of other players and forcing Duran to forcing the ball through Duran every single time allowed them to kind of sneak away with this win here? Um, I mean, I thought it was a really, I mean, I shouldn't say like an interesting strategy. Like Duran Holmes plays great because uh, you know normally if he's dropping twenty six, twenty seven. 25 plus you know you're gonna you're gonna get a win um but i think that it was it was interesting to see him excel and us get beat up at the same time because normally it's like if deron tanks you know then it's like all right the ship's going down but i mean he played great he had a very strong game but they just shut everybody else up you know um i know uh, at least a week or two ago javon bennett um who's been running the floor I had the highest plus minus in the A10, um, you know, and, and Enoch Cheeks has been a fantastic defensive player, not a big box score guy, um, but someone that's going to contribute in pretty much any other way. Um, he was very big in that Duquesne game, got back-to-back steals um, that led to points or fouls and just a big, like, spark plug for us. Um, but it was one of those games where it's like, all right, where where's the help? Um, you know, and... I, I thought I think that's an interesting way for opposing teams to approach UD. Um, if that's how George Mason did approach us, was like, no matter how we play, this dude is going to get his points, his rebounds. You know, he's going to do his thing. Um, but the rest of this team, you know, is a team that we can shut down. Um, I, I think that is really interesting. Uh, if that's if that's a take that 
that other teams are going for. And, you know, it clearly worked because, you know, Duran can play as well as he can, but in college, you're not going to score 60 points by yourself. It's just not going to happen. Um, and, and we are a very talented roster, but I will say with the talent that we have, I think that we normally limit ourselves to seven or eight players and spots six, seven, and eight outside of Kobe Brea aren't getting too much playing time, um, some games. And so I, I'm not sure if if that might make it easier to game plan against us. I mean, you're really prepping for six guys instead of nine or ten um, that are really going to get some minutes. Um, but I, mean, I think one thing that's gotten a lot of Twitter attention is that 19-0 run, no timeouts called uh, in that period from, from Coach Anthony Grant. And, um, you know, I – I mean, I don't have any like harsh feelings about it. There were some people on Twitter that were were pretty vocal um, on that, um, but I think people get pretty vocal about anything that happens to Dayton basketball. I mean, someone twists an ankle and fifty tweets get sent out. Um, so, you know, I think something should have happened before we went like five minutes without scoring. Um, but at the same time, at that point in the game, it was salvageable. You know, it's not like we went from 50, 50 tied to we're down 50 to 70. Um, so, no, I, I thought that it was, I mean, great game by George Mason. I mean, respect to them. You know, I, I don't think that it was like refs bailed him out or like terrible. You know, I don't have anything like that. I think that they, they game planned really well. Um, and I think that's a huge thing for Dayton in general. My big worry is going into the next year, honestly, at this point, is like drawn most likely going to the league. Obviously the transfer portal is always nuts. Like who is going to be that next person to step up, you know, whether it's the next month or next season, um, you know, you can't have one person just win you a game. And I don't think that we've really found number who's number two, who's number three, who's number four. I don't think that that, that line of command has really been established. Uh, and so I think that would be a huge help going into a 10 tournament and hopefully the March Madness tournament is like, you know, Duran is clearly number one. Everybody knows that that's been since his freshman year. Um, but you know, who's number two, if Duran's getting locked up, you know, who do we turn to, um, to, you know, who's going to carry the boats, uh, as, as a David Goggins might say. Um, <laughs> but I mean, very genuinely, um, you know, if he has an off night, you've got to have two or three other guys put up those type of stats, and and that just didn't happen. Um, like you said, um, he played great, but the rest of the team will, was kind of nowhere to be found. Um, so, I mean, I I know Anthony Grant had a great press conference. He always does. That's something I definitely appreciate about him. Is is, is he's got great answers, um, but you know, you can you can be political and and answer the press conferences, you know with a great attitude and, and everything, but at a certain point, you know, lights have to flip on or off um, and some changes have to be made. You know, there's, there's a, a certain point where you can't, you can't just keep losing to, you know, we started with losing to the two seed, then it was like three. Now we're down to like five or six seed dropping a loss. Um, so I, I just want to kind of escape the rest of the conference season without like a, a loss to a 10 seed or, or something like that. Yeah. Absolutely. So right now, Dayton stands uh, third place in the Atlantic 10. 
a really important stretch for them right now. So their final four games of A-10 play. They're off this weekend. Uh, then they host Davidson. They're at Loyola Chicago. They're at St. Louis. And then finally they cap off the regular season by hosting VCU. Um, obviously, depending on, on, on how the schedule plays out, I mean, they're, you know, getting the one seed is a little bit out of their hands right now because they do not play Richmond again. Um, but it's, you know, the path is still there. And one of those teams on that schedule, I wanted to talk about, uh, the Loyola Chicago Ramblers, Baz, your team, they are on a tear right now. They have won six in a row, nine of their last 10. And as we just mentioned, they're tied for first place in the conference with Richmond at 11 and two. Their second year in the conference, obviously they came in. I feel like people had, you know, people were very, I wouldn't say people were super high on them, but people kind of expected them to kind of come into the conference, including themselves, and be competitive. Obviously, last year was not a competitive year for them, but year two, they've completely flipped it around, and now they are have a path to the one seed. So for you, what has clicked for them? Uh, what about, you know, what does it say about, you know, Coach Valentine and his ability to get, a, get his guys to learn a little bit, and where do you see this team going for the rest of the season? Uh, a lot of really good questions there. Um, and definitely, like I mentioned earlier, if you had told me that uh, Loyola would be competing for that number one seed uh, in the regular season, I would have looked at you like you didn't know what you were talking about. Because, you know, hey, people predicted us to be, what, middle of the conference, eighth place at the beginning of the season. So I thought that was valid. I thought that was fair. But I was pretty high on them from from the preseason on. I, I thought you know, their transfers looked pretty solid and they really, really proved themselves early on. But, you know, Sam, as you mentioned earlier, some of those really tough losses to UIC, it didn't look so bad early in the season because, you know, their their net ranking was top 60. But now as they've gotten into Valley play and they've kind of dropped down in the standings, yeah, I mean, it's looking more like a, a quad three loss, which is not great. Um, and then the same with the Tulsa loss. Obviously, it would be great to have that game. We weren't ever really out of it again. Just they had a lucky stretch, and, you know, that's maybe not the game I would have wanted to drop, but also that USF loss. Like, I know they're really good now, and they're really leading the charge in the American Conference, but, again, just the way that we did not execute in that second half, I could go on for days about. The non-conference was not great, and I know that's probably going to impact us going into the tournament because, hey, if we win the regular season, that's great because, at worst, we can get an NIT bid. And look, I, I don't think Drew Valentine and, and his staff are, are are sitting at you know their their desks and being like, well, at least we got the NIT this year, guys. Let's just throw in the towel now, you know. But I think to answer your other question about what's clicked, I think just the fact that they don't give up, they have looked really rocky at times, and there are times where I've said, well, this game's over. This game's not going to go our way. I think of that game against George Mason a couple weeks ago, right? We go down by, you know, 12 in the first half. I'm like, well, this is not a good start. This could look bad. You know, I I didn't even, in my little prediction here, I didn't even have us beating George Mason, but just when there's a will, there's a way. And that will to win is very strong. And they're just a very, I think what really stands out to me is, is that defense, of course, Drew Valentine was the defensive coordinator for coach Moser 
uh, on that final four run and a sweet 16 run as well. So just a really, uh, he, he always knows how to draw up a great defensive game plan currently in Ken Palm, they're 41st. So pretty, pretty solid. And I think that runs around the A-10, very defensively responsible teams. So it's not like if, you know, if we were like the best defense in the league, sure. But there are about five or six other defenses that are up there. But I think what really stands out is the two-point defense, one of the best in the country, top five pretty much for the past month or so. And at one point, we're the number one two-point defense. And if you really want to score on us, where you got to go is that three-point line, right? We just don't defend that very well. But if you want to try and drive on us, good luck, because you got some really physical bodies in that that interior that will shut you down and make you take tough twos. Um, so I think that's what's really clicked for us. And, you know, as, as, as Sean mentioned just a few minutes ago, you know, Dayton is a guy that – a team that really relies on one guy, Deron Holmes – and, you know, you really just game plan. How can we shut him down? Because obviously they have a great set of guards. And, you know, if they have a great game, that's great. But, you know, most nights they're like, all right, let's get the ball to Duran, drop it in, do our thing. But with Loyola, you have to game plan individually for about nine or ten guys every night. Because I believe right now they have five guys averaging over eight points a game. So really, if someone's not having a good night, for example, Philip Alston, he's had kind of a tough stretch lately, had a nice couple of games here but if he's not going okay great des watson let's let him have a game if des isn't having a game no problem here's Braden norris fifth year senior captain give him the ball if that's not going well all right cool there's Jaden dawson he he was a starter for a while then got hurt but he's been great off the bench and adding a spark so truly if i were a team in the atlantic 10 right now i would not want to face loyola based on how many players you have to game plan for and even Dave Medellican, too. If you need a quick two, if you need a physical two, if you just need a body going in that paint, Dame will do it. It's Dame time, baby. You just got to trust in all of these players to do their job, and they will do it. So it's just – it's a nightmare having to game plan for these guys. And I really think that, you know, it would be great to finish top three. If we get the number one, that would be great. That's like a – that's kind of a, 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 a pipe dream, though, but – We'll see how that that Dayton game plays out uh, next Friday. I will be there uh, as a as a fan, um, but I'm I'm very much looking forward to it. And just the, just the rest of the season. Obviously, these next three games are huge against Mason on the road in Olean against St Bonaventure, and then at home against Dayton. Uh, I don't know if that St Bonaventure game is now going to be relegated to a quad two because of uh, their loss the other night to LaSalle, but uh, still very 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 important that we play hard in that game as well as the other two and then the remaining schedule. So my kind of hot take is I think Drew Valentine should be Atlantic 10 coach of the year simply because of the turnaround he's put into that program. Um, it's been really exciting to watch and be there and just see how hard this team plays. Cause last year, if they got into some of these deficits, they would have just said, okay, whatever, that's the game. But this year, no deficit feels like too much. They will outwork you. They will be physical and they will make it very, very tough to win games that they think are winnable. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, all those guys that you listed obviously are proof of just a deep Loyola Chicago, Loyola Chicago roster. And the guy that you threw in at the end there, I was I was waiting for that because I wanted to ask you about him because he's been a real joy to watch. Dame Delicate, right? Um, three games in a row where he's put up double-digit scoring. I believe that makes it three out of his last five. 
Yeah, three out of his last five, six out of his last eight games, he's put up double digits. Um, I had the pleasure to watch him in person at the Rose Hill gym when they beat Fordham. Um, and you know, when I watch on, you know, when I watch them on TV now, it's just, I feel like he's got such a unique build for the A-10, right? I mean, you know, he's a dominant big man and he, he can put up, he put up 20 points against Rhode Island. So what about him is kind of emblematic of this, this Loyola Chicago roster and how they, they spread the ball. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think Dame is really, he's, he's just, he's a, I don't want to say he's a unicorn, but he is really just a special player in the sense that whenever they need an easy basket or if they're down and they're like, all right, shots aren't falling. Who do we go to? Let's go back to fundamental basketball and find Dame Adelican because from within five feet, he has one of the smoothest finishes in the Atlantic 10. He can post up. He's got that nasty spin move that he can just shake off a defender and go to the basket. Um, I didn't really watch a lot of his tape coming into this season, so I wasn't really sure what we were getting. But I think there could be an argument that he's been a pretty impactful transfer to this Rambler team. I mean, obviously, your eyes will point to, well, Des Watson, obviously, coming from Davidson. Um, you know, he's a great player. But Dame was really a great pickup for this this Loyola team. And you know, last year it felt like there was just a lot of, of chaos and, and disarray. You were relying on the wrong players to really score. Obviously, you know, Braden Norris, he's a very capable player, but I don't think he's somebody that you can rely on to be a primary scorer. And last year they really leaned into him a lot to do that, but he's much better as a floor general. He's a veteran. He started at Oakland with Drew Valentine. Drew is, my guess is, brought him in when he moved to Loyola. And was like, hey, take this Braden Norris kid. And, you know, when he was when he worked as a floor general in his first couple of years here, he did a great job with that. But, you know, now he's kind of fallen back into that role and he's just he's done great. He's top 50, I believe, in assists. I could be wrong with that number, but he's a great passer. He's able to find players and has that touch. And, you know, I think that that's great. And, you know. Dame, you know, he he's a beneficiary of that. And just everybody, if you need somebody to find a quick basket, feed Dame. He will be able to finish in the paint. And I think he is somebody that is a little undervalued, right? I mean, I've heard I've heard some rumors and I could be wrong. They think Dame is he's not very he's not very fast. He's not, he's not this, he's not that, he's not whatever. But what he has is kind of this old school touch to him that I think he he play like I said, he plays fundamental basketball very well. He can post up. He can finish. He's got finesse. And it's just it's just so exciting to watch him work. Because as soon as you see him touch the ball, he's like, oh, he's going right to the paint. And as you mentioned, Sam, against Rhodey, he put up 21, tied with Philip Alston for the most on the team. Automatic in the first half, really just balled out. And I was just so shocked at how how much he impacted that game. Um, and yeah, just just truly a special player to watch. And I can't say enough about this Loyola team. Obviously, I'm a little biased because I cover them, but um, just so proud of the progression from year one to year two. And, um, you know, Hey, I think Drew probably knows this is like their last real chance to do something with their core that they've had, obviously Braden Norris, Tom Welch, all these guys who've been here for a few years and even their, their seniors now, like Adelican, who's a graduate Alston, you know, you think of Greg Dolan, all these players who are going to be graduating, um, you know, this is really their last run. So why not get the most out of it? And yeah, it's, it's just been awesome. All right. Yeah. And, you know, I got to say, too, I mean, you know, he's that he doesn't shoot a lot, 
But, you know, for a guy that you're, you know, you're, the, the main focus is fundamental basketball, right? He's shooting 33% from uh, three-point range on the season. He's Doesn't hit a couple a of threes. He's hit a couple of threes. It, whenever he, you know, obviously the one against, I, I think it was Charleston Southern, you know, he was just kind of open. He took that three and the crowd went crazy. He's not that guy who will just, and even against Rhodey, he hit a mid-range jumper. And I was like, oh my God, Dame outside of the paint hitting a shot. What's going on here? Um, so yeah, I mean, he's not, he's not known for being a three point shooter. He's not really known for mid range, but again, old school basketball, he can fight you. He will physically just impose his will and finish baskets in the most incredible ways. Just, just to be clear that 33% is, is two for six on the season. So slightly inflated. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) But I just, I, you know, I, I, I want to gas up everybody in the A-10 on this podcast. Um, so I think that's going to wrap it up on the men's side, but let's, before we do that. UMass versus VCU. Oh, yes. Big How one. How could I forget yeah. UMass versus VCU? How could we forget UMass beating a top, a top team by over 20 points? Come on now, Sam. This is a party foul. <laughs> so let's get into it. Especially with the UMass person on. You forget about UMass VCU. Wow. We were so wrapped up in, uh, you know, just you know, Dayton going down and, and Loyola coming to the top that we forgot to talk. Yeah. We forgot to talk about VCU uh, losing by 22 points uh, to UMass. Obviously UMass got off to a really hot start in this game and VCU was just pretty much never able to recover. Um, KG, what happened? How did this happen? VCU never led the entire game. So here's the easiest way of putting it. I was sitting on press row with Michael Bergman, a good friend of um, the podcast, um, one of our other writers um, on the website too. Um, He was actually at the game on Tuesday. And honestly, from the start, I was a little concerned if UMass had a chance at this one. This one, especially coming off of a loss, I know UMass is really good off coming off of a loss, but just not knowing what to really expect I wasn't expecting UMass to be, like, making everything. While VCU goes the first 12 minutes of the freaking game without a field goal. The Rams could not buy a field goal for the first 12 minutes of that game, which dug them into the hole early. And, well, UMass kind of went on several runs in that span. And, well, Ryan Odom did not call a timeout in there and just relied on the media timeouts. Uh, And then the Rams, like, did start making shots, but really they didn't have many players get into double digits. Um, Honestly, the fact that UMass was able to, like, really control the paint, like, on both the offense and defense and really out-rebounding them, that really helped helped out with everything. And honestly, this was probably one of the best games I've seen out of UMass this season. Like, they played – very good games, but especially coming off of a loss this is the best game they've had, like for the entirety of the 40 minutes. Um, and honestly, this momentum, gaining this momentum now is probably the best time to be gaining this momentum as they have another huge one um, on Saturday, especially now that the Bonnies are coming in on a loss against LaSalle. Thank you, LaSalle. I love you for that. Um, Brandtastic. <laughs> Yes, thank you, Fran Dumpy, for it. It's fantastic in Amherst at the moment, um, and also Franktastic. 
can't forget about Frank Martin um, with that. But honestly, this game on Saturday means even more to UMass fans than ever because this is going to be really a big make-it-or-break-it game of whether or not UMass can really control that five seed or if they even have a chance at the four seed if VCU does end up losing. As I mentioned with percentage, um, with the whole thing of possibilities for seeding, um, UMass has the highest they can possibly be as a two seed, but that's like a 0.2%, and I don't think it's going to happen. But the lowest UMass can also go is um, 11th, but that's 0.5%. And I really don't think they'll be down in the pillow fights. There's no way now. Um, best they can end up, is, like, with the highest probability is going to probably be the five seed. Um, but UMass, UMass's future of getting the double buy really depends on VCU. If VCU somehow um, loses another game this season or somehow blows another game, UMass could have that um, could have that seed. But VCU would have to essentially lose two games, if not more, for UMass to have it. But there's not enough time in conference play in order for UMass to get it. But UMass is gelling at the right time. Josh Cohen had 20 points. Um, Matt Cross, 18 points, 12 rebounds, another double-double. Um, Rasul Diggins with 10 points. Those three combining for 48 of UMass's 74 points. Uh, Jalen Curry was a cooking. Um, basically, the Triple C factory came out to play and, well, didn't want to leave Amherst um, without a win. And honestly, that atmosphere, considering it was only 4,300 fans thereabouts, it felt like there was more like 5,000 with how they were cheering and everything. And honestly, um, with this game Saturday against St. Bonaventure, it couldn't be coming at a better time as it's alumni weekend. Um, over 90 UMass basketball alums will be coming out for the game on Saturday, as well as it is senior day. So Matt Cross and Ryan Marcus are going to be getting uh, honored pregame, but Lip Scripty was coming back out for the jerseys this for the final time this season, unless they wear them down in Brooklyn. But honestly, they just need to keep um, winning. And, well, basically, if they win Saturday, they're basically in con cruise control and have, like, have a pretty easier end of conference slate. Not to bash Davidson, George Washington, or Sam, your team, Fordham, but UMass – Seems like they're firing at all cylinders and really gelling at the right time in the right place. So, honestly, if you're a UMass fan, now's the time to go pack Mullins. This is the best crowd, like, this is the best season I have seen since the 2013-14 season. Go pack Mullins. Youth tickets are $5 um, for the rest of the season. It's literally the end of February break for kids in Massachusetts. Now is the time to pack Mullins. Hey, G, just a quick question for you, obviously, about the game against VCU. Matt Cross, a question mark coming in, and Sam, I don't want to steal your thunder here, but just curious, obviously, Matt, Cro Matt Cross's impact on the game. Double-double, questionable to play. He's been banged up all season. Do you think if they didn't have Matt Cross, would they have won that game? They would have. I, I honestly don't know. Um, 18 points, even if everyone else still contributed the way they did, 18 points out of the 22-point win, they would have only won by four, if I'm doing my math correctly. Um, UMass did out-rebound VCU on the glass, but honestly, he is, Matt Cross, he is literally, using Frank Martin's words, word for word, I've said it already on this podcast before, 
Matt Cross is as tough as a rattlesnake. He was being very gingerly with his right hand in shoot around the morning of in warm-ups at the beginning of the game, but still was playing through it. And honestly, I feel like adrenaline has been carrying him through a lot of his injuries. Um, But Hey, he is him. He should be make, I'm sorry. If cross does not make the first all conference team, there will be like, you guys will have to try to keep me away from the people that vote on that. Cause Matt cross deserves to be on the first team. Um, Again, my hot takes right now, from preseason are holding up pretty darn well. I said UMass top four, Cross and Cohen. And I did say Hank and Sanford in, top, in all conference teams, but Hank and Sanford, I don't think is going to get it, but Cross and Cohen, all conference teams. I think my hot take is pretty much going to stand through the end of the season, depending on how UMass finishes. So I'll take that. Um, yes, I am getting a little cocky, but hey, when has UMass had this good of a season? It's been a decade since that. So Honestly, the fact that, like, UMass was able to keep that and Cross still had a day with the wrist and right hand bothering him, that's what matters. And honestly, he seems like he's going to be a go on Saturday as of right now. But, hey, he doesn't want to let his team down again like he did at Rhode Island. Like, he was a game-time decision, and they just pulled him saying, yeah, no, you're not playing. So, honestly, Cross wants this. Cross believes in this team and this team really can truly cause chaos in this tournament. I think this new mass team is probably a team nobody wants to see come tournament time. Yep. As you said, UMass a game and a half behind VCU for, uh, you know, a, uh, a spot in the double buy. Obviously if it gets any closer, UMass has that tiebreaker over VCU because they just beat them. Um, and their game this weekend against St. Bonaventure, another huge step for UMass to try and get further and further to that double bye. Um, aside from that, any other games on the men's slate that, that stick out to you guys? I would say Mason Loyola. Um, just because both teams have been pretty good. Loyola is obviously top in the top of the conference, running in first, um, tied right now with Richmond. Um, Mason just pulled off a huge upset against Dayton, as we just mentioned earlier. So honestly, this game could be anywhere. I mean, while this Friday 10 game isn't the best, I mean, it could be worse games. It could be St. Louis and LaSalle going against each other for this Friday 10. It could be a pillow fight game. This one has some glimmers of a pillow fight, but I don't think exactly with how Duquesne's been lately, but... Honestly, I feel like name naming at least Mason Loyola besides UMass St. Bonaventure. And I know UMass is probably going to end up honoring um, George Trigger Burke again after he passed away, unfortunately, on Valentine's Day um, last Wednesday. So I they honored him on Tuesday. I'm sure they're going to do that again on Saturday with all the alumni there as George was a huge part of UMass history and has donated so much money back into athletics during his time at like with after UMass. So I think another game that you have to look for is Sunday afternoon, three o'clock central tip St. Joe's and VCU huge game for position in the conference can't be overlooked. Obviously St. Joe's has been kind of banged up to say the least recently, obviously Lynn has been hurt. 
Uh, Chris Sandico also been been missing a little bit of time, but you know it's really now or never for St. Joe's if they want to prove that this early season slump was you know a fluke. This is the game to really define it. If they can get a win against VCU, that would be massive, massive, massive. And if if UMass wins, who who knows? Like a lot of things can change with that game. It could make it easier for Loyola if St. Joe's beats VCU, right? I just think there's a lot of different moving parts that could be impacted by that game on Sunday afternoon. Obviously, KG, I completely agree with you. Loyola and Mason is going to be a huge one on Saturday afternoon, 3.30 tip. But also UMass and St. Bonaventure, two teams that have just been really moving up and down, up and down as, you know, the our power rankings have gone on and even as the season uh, has progressed as well. They've just been really neck and neck, and I think this could really be the determining factor between uh, a doubled bye for one team or the other. Plus, the Bonnies aren't very good away from the Riley Center, so that's also a huge perk for UMass. It also goes to show to their loss on Wednesday, so... Those are my thoughts for this weekend slate. Now, KG, I know you're a little down on Friday 10 this week, but as, you know, obviously as A10's uh, resident Fordham alumnus and Fordham correspondent, if I could tee up Friday 10 as a game worth watching, I think there are some interesting storylines, you know, heading into heading into this matchup between Duquesne and Fordham at the Rose Hill Gym. Um, for those of you who've been following, uh, you know, if you're, if you're following the entire conference instead of just your team, Fordham is 0-6 at home in conference play. Um, Something that Coach Ergo has talked about throughout the season. I mean, this is something that he brings up a lot um, in his tenure is, you know, just just making sure that, you know, emphasizing with his team that they need to play 40 minutes of, of basketball, right? That means, you know, yeah, runs are great. You know, leading at halftime is great, but none of that matters, right? If you're going to finish with a, with an eight point loss, a 15 point loss, right? Like we saw against Dayton and Davidson on the road, respectively. Right. Um, This Fordham team obviously is, is one that has a lot to figure out, you know, seeing, you know, how this sophomore class continues to develop with each other, how they continue to play off each other and try and, you know, break this losing streak at home and for Duquesne, um, depending on how different things go this weekend, I mean, you know, George Mason is seven and six, but then you've got St. Joe's and St. Bonaventure at seven and seven, you know, each, and then Duquesne's at six and seven, depending how things swing, Duquesne could jump four spots up in the standings, or they could just stay put, uh, you know, where they are right now and fall to six and eight should Fordham, you know, break this streak. So still a lot of seating implications for this game. So I think, you know, if you like A-10 basketball, it's it's always worth watching Friday 10. So that's going to wrap it up on uh, what we're talking about on the men's side. So on the women's side, speaking of streaks, uh, there are a lot of streaks going on in the Atlantic 10. I mean, if we want to go from the bottom up just to, you know... <laughs> Russell, Russell KG's feathers a little bit. I mean, Pain. you got UMass and St. Bonaventure at the bottom of the conference, both on 14-game losing streaks. Um, and then as you move upwards, though, you've got the Fordham Rams on a four-game win streak, the Duquesne Dukes on a six-game win streak, and, of course, at the top, still at 14-1, and 
are the Richmond Spiders, who have won their last seven games. KG, out of those three win streaks that I talked about, Richmond, Duquesne, Fordham, which of those at this point in the season is the most impactful for any of these, for any of their respective teams? Honestly, all three are very impactful seeding wise, as I've been already, I've been working hard on this with um, Daniel Frank on creating a projected women's basketball graphic that goes out after, after every single day of games. Um, So right now, Richmond has sole possession of first place with St. Joe's having just lost to VCU on Wednesday. St. Joe's did also have a very long win streak there as well um, before they lost um, on Wednesday. Um, Honestly, this entire conference is really unpredictable other than the bottom two. Um, (laughs) As it pains me very, very so much. to see UMass in the bottom two and have the long, like this long losing skid. Um, It's just pain as I've already screamed four times in my mic while you're talking, Sam. Um, But honestly, Fordham, Fordham's four game win streak isn't as impressive as Duquesne's or even um, Richmond's just because all of their wins um, for Fordham came against teams that are trending towards the bottom of that pack. St. Louis, Dayton, UMass, and St. Bonaventure. Um, but honestly, they do still have two more chances to win games out of three games that are left. Um, they mean, it. I don't know if Saturday's game is going to get played for Fordham just because of Davidson um, having some in- the injury bug currently. And by injury bug, I truly mean injury bug for um, Davidson just because they lost Susie Rose Deegan, Sylvie Jackson, Charlie Stunn, and Izzy Morgan. Um, all, all four of them all got injured in conference play. Only The only one I can tell you for sure it, like with the injury was is Susie Rose Deegan posted on Instagram that it was an ACL injury. Um, but everyone else... Sylvie Jackson looked like it was an ACL injury when she also got injured in the same game as Susie Rose Deegan. Shirley Stunn was the most recent one to go down um, for Davidson. And they also had two players get either were injured or have been unavailable all season. Thompson and Thomason at if I'm saying that correctly, I don't know. And Sally Shutts have not been available with that, that bumped their roster availability down to seven. And they actually had to add two players to the roster in order to make sure that they would have enough bodies. Um, and that, those two players made their debuts against Rhode Island this past um, weekend. And they unfortunately had to cancel their game at Dayton due to the injury bug slash non-COVID health and safety protocols. So if this game on Saturday against Fordham is actually going to happen. Um, I'm not sure yet. It could be literally it happened. Like it's, it could be a game time decision. I don't know. Cause it got announced same day, whether or not Fordham was going to be able to like whether Dayton, the Dayton um, Davidson game was going to happen. So honestly, I don't know. Um, but this Fordham team's trending at the right time. Saying uh, Richmond's been basically thriving through this entire conference play. Um, and honestly, Richmond, their only loss in conference play comes against Duquesne. And really, Duquesne and Dan Burt have been um, really surprising in this conference um, slate period just because of 
they had basically a 500 um conference like one 500 non-conference and it looked like dan burt was possibly going to be in the hot seat going into this offseason but duquesne has picked up big wins against davison richmond loyola chicago and rhode island and still have um two big games left on their slate too but they've also been handed big losses like to mace george mason st joe's and vcu um but they do have another game against St. Joe's coming up, as well as a big game against Richmond for round two. So if Duquesne can really truly be Richmond's kryptonite, we'll find out. But honestly, there's so many different games that could be so many different implications on this woman's side that could really, really tell you where um seeds one through five land, as well as where seeds um six or eight, because you never know with this woman's side right now. And honestly, there's been projections of St. Joe's and Mason being on the bubble for um, the women's bracketology and with uh, Richmond being the automatic qualifier. So honestly, you really don't know what could be happening. And I don't know necessarily where Richmond would land if they weren't placed as the automatic qualifier. So Hmm. um, honestly, this whole, like this whole season is been in conference by Ben, very curiosity of where it's going to land up um, for the woman's side. Um, honestly, I just read through all of my notes too, except one big thing of notes for my woman's side. But um, I don't know if anyone else has stuff to add before I talk about some big games that are left in conference play. I mean, I think my my big thing is just, uh, I think it's a super exciting time for, for both sides. I mean, I think it, it's very fun. You know, I think it's kind of two ways to view it on, some of the top teams are battling each other and, and you know, knocking each other kind of out of creating a multiple bid league. Um, but I think at the same time, it's, we have so many competitive good teams, um, you know, so I think it's competitive in a good way and, um, you know, down to the wire. I think it makes it more fun headed into the A-10 tournament, um, not knowing who the one seed is going to be. I mean, one through five could be a number of teams. Um, so I, I just think it's a, a quick shout, just the next two or three weeks is going to be, I think, really hectic, uh, on both sides of the conference and, um, really excited to see, I mean, one through whatever number, um, where all these teams are going to end up. Cause I mean, I think that it's not going to be sorted out until the last game is played. Um, so yeah, I mean, nothing major, but I think just there's two ways to view it and you know, it's really easy to be like, ah, oh, it sucks. We want multiple bids, but I think at the same time within the conference, there's there's a ton of good games happening um, and a lot of really tight play. Yeah, just to kind of finish it up, I mean, the 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 women's bracket is it's kind of mirrors the men's in terms of like there is a clear top five, but again, it's just about jockeying for position, who's going to win one or two more games and really secure the slots. Um, and I think that's just really cool. Obviously, we've seen some really great games. I I I of course am super big on. Loyola Ramblers women's basketball. You guys know every time I come on here, I love to plug that team. Uh, Coach Guth has really turned it around in year two. Exciting to see them at least in the middle of the pack. They might not move up or down, but hey, at least finishing with a 500 record or above it would be would be really awesome for this team in year two. Um, again, only losing to Richmond by four, losing to Davidson by uh, three. There was definitely a little bit of controversy in that game, as, as we all all know. But um, just exciting to see them compete and really just defy all expectations in year two. In the beginning of the season, I remember it 
Nobody gave them a chance. 15th place again. And this, again, it's exciting. We had some great transfers come in. We've had a lot of senior leadership, and I think that's made a difference. And it'll be nice to see those uh, six seniors and uh, graduates nominated. um, Well, I guess not nominated, but awarded for their success and dedication to the program. Uh, Not only, I mean, you look at Satori Tannen and, and, and Sam Galanopoulos, who've been there for four and five years, respectively. They could have chosen to go somewhere else when the tide got tough, but gosh dang it, they stood there and they built up that team. And, I, I, and you know, Coach Guth talked about it in the press conference the other night. A team doesn't get to be this good or improve or show strides of just resilience without leadership and buy-in. So just want to shout out all of our, our seniors and just just their dedication to this team, uh, even when, when things got tough. So, KG, the women's basketball regular season ends on March 2nd. However, I would argue that the most important game is on February 28th when Richmond takes on Duquesne. Now, obviously, Duquesne is not the number one seed. uh, Or, sorry, they're not the number two seed behind Richmond. They're the number three seed. But would that game pretty much give Richmond – you know, depending on what what happens, you know, throughout the conference, the one seed heading into the women's basketball championship. There is another game I want to throw in there that could be Richmond's kryptonite. Um, and that's Mason versus Richmond coming up this weekend. Um, Mason has been very good as of late, but they did just have a little bit of an injury bug hit them and people getting sick. So I don't know exactly what kind of Mason team we're going to see because Mason almost just blew it against St. Bonaventure. So I don't know. We could be seeing a very good George Mason team. We could also be seeing a George Mason team that's just being, as Daniel Frank likes to put it, just being Mason and blowing it at the end of the conference. Um, I talk a lot with Daniel, just trying to plan a whole bunch of stuff on the women's side. But honestly, these top five spots aren't very, or I should actually, I'm going to correct myself. These top six spots aren't solidified. Um, Going down in the bracket right now, it it stands as Richmond is the one seed, St. Joe's is the two, Duquesne three, Mason is four, um, VCU is five, and Rhode Island is six. Uh, out of those six teams, they still have several games that they have to play against each other, and two of them come on this Saturday, this weekend, with uh, Rhode Island St. Joe's being one of them, a rematch of a game earlier this season as well as Richmond and Mason going against each other. But honestly, Duquesne, Duquesne, Richmond's going to be a big factor, as well as um, also VCU versus Rhode Island, Mason versus VCU, and St. Joe's versus Duquesne. Those are the big games to watch in this conference to end the conference slate. And, well, if you want to figure out who gets the lovely coveted number 15 spot, there's a good game on the 28th that can really tell you who gets the 15th spot if St. Bonaventure or UMass don't win another game between now and then. As UMass and St. Bonaventure will be fighting for the number 15 spot on the 28th as well. Uh, yeah, no, I, I I really don't have words, to positive words on this UMass women's team this year, unfortunately. Um, I knew it was going to go through a rebuild. Didn't realize that it was going to be this big, this fast. Um, that's just really the words I got. As soon as Mike Lafleur gets some players that really want to be there, 
there. I could see this team really trending upwards. It's just it's going to take time. Same with St. Bonaventure. Just kind of talking about teams that don't get talked about much, but I will just I will hint ahead. Um, keep your eyes out. Anyone who's interested in eight ten women's basketball, um, we will be doing. Daniel Frank and I will be hosting the big um eight ten women's basketball special again. This time we'll talk about more about conference play on March fourth. Uh, so two days before the tournament actually opens up. So it should be a good one to listen to as well as well. It honestly, there's so much that could change in the top six between now and then. So honestly, keep supporting women's basketball. Baz has a great team out at Loyola. Dayton's starting to get somewhere finally. And well, my fingers are crossed for UMass, but Fordham's trending in the right direction right now. So honestly, all of our four teams are really doing something right now, even if it isn't always for the positive. Save my soul, UMass, please. Yeah, it's uh, it's late February, but it's really feeling like March right now in the Atlantic 10. So keep, as as KG said, keep following us at a 10 talk on X, Twitter, whatever you call it. Um, keep checking out a10talk.com. Keep listening to the A10 Talk podcast. And for KG, Baz, and Sean Vitalis, I'm Sam Basil. This has been the A10 Talk Podcast, and we'll see you guys next time.